Welcome to Alaskwatch, the show all about Bigfoot in the great state of Alaska. I'm your host, Beans Baxter. So lace up your boots, zip up your coat, and come with me on an adventure as we explore all things cryptid in the last frontier. All right, we're live. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I don't think we've got anybody watching yet, but uh, soon. Mm. So uh, we kind of this is kind of an impromptu uh, live stream that we decided to do. Uh, didn't really have anything on the books, and I was just like, man, you know, this is going to be a really hectic week. We've got a lot going on, and I haven't really talked about my new book that much on the podcast. I mean, I've mentioned it, but I haven't really like devoted a podcast to it. And usually it's kind of tradition so far. I mean, for the third time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, every time, uh, I release a book, I like to do uh, a podcast about it. And, uh, even though this one's not really cryptid related, even though there may be, maybe there's a story in there about a possible alien sighting. Um, there's not really any cryptid stories in there. I thought that, um, it would be, prudent to, to do a launch party for it in a little a little uh i don't know question and answer session like we usually do well technically the name alaska watch has the word alaska in it so anything alaska related as far as i'm concerned counts <laughs> that's true <laughs> i mean and it does give insight into who you are as a person in your career in law enforcement so if people are more curious about you uh it's a great book if they want to know a little bit more about your career and your humor and yeah. your writing styles and it is published under our yeah banner or a last watch banner um <clears throat> and uh, what we're talking about you know you guys are going to hear our dogs in the background yeah uh there there's nothing we can do about it they're and i might have to get up from the table and start wrestling or something we so, tried to wear them out but you never know yeah it's um you know they're they're frenchies are a great a breed but they're a lot of work, especially if you have more than one. Uh, we recently got a new one, and I thought, I mean, we've already got two. What's one more going to be? And it's a game changer because I'm like, usually, like, when I take them outside or something, I've just got the two to keep an eye on, and then, okay, that one's over there, that one's over there. And now with three, it's like a whole different experience. It's like one's, like, here, one's running off over there, and... It's a little bit more difficult than I anticipated. Well, as it turns out, you probably shouldn't have more dogs than you have hands and arms. Because <laughs> you can tuck one under each arm when you're going to collect them in the woods when they're misbehaving. But it's been it's been good. And, you know, he's young yet, so he's got puppy energy and puppy behavior. So it will get better. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Are, they're, are, a, they're a joy to have, but your life revolves around them. They do not revolve around you. Hi, Arlo. He's he's trying to get up. He's trying to get in on the podcast. Well, he is the newest addition to the family. <laughs> okay, get in bed with Sissy. There he goes. Uh, so here is the book. I'm going to hold it up for the camera. It's called Justice Morale and Other Fairy Tales, Alaskan Cop Stories. Uh, it is a collection of stories uh, from my time 
when I worked in law enforcement. Uh, there's actually, they're pretty, there's, I don't know, there's almost 50 stories, maybe over 50. Uh, I actually cut a couple uh, and said, you know, I don't think I'm going to, I'm going to use those this time. And I was compiling all these stories and I would see something that would remind me of something and I would make a little note of it. Like, Oh man, this is uh this reminds me of that time that this happened. And uh, I'd write a little note on it. And then I, I realized I had like over 50 stories and I was like, man, this is, this is going to be a lot. And I ended up cutting a couple of them and just thinking, well, maybe I'll save those for volume two. If I ever get to the point where I ha- feel like I have enough stories for volume two. And, uh, I guess, spoiler alert, I've pretty much already got enough stories for a volume two. I've already kind of, uh, made enough notes that I can like, I could write a whole nother book, probably about the same size, maybe, maybe, a a little bit more if I think of some more stories, but I was kind of surprised at how many things, you know, over a, like a, was a 15 year career. There's a lot of things that you kind of like forget about that. Like most people would, would consider like, holy cow, I, you know, that was like a significant event. And, uh, we were talking to somebody the other day, uh, where I was talking about like, yeah, you know, you pull somebody over and for just maybe speeding or something, if the person's never been pulled over for speeding, that's like a significant event for their, them. That's a big deal in their life. And for the officer that's pulling them over, it's just a Tuesday or it's, it's just a regular day for them. So it's, it's kind of interesting when you, when you for, realize what you forget from, from your time in uniform, I have people come up to me and be like, Oh, you know, do you remember me? And <laughs> no. And they're kind of insulted uh, because to them it was a big deal. It was a big event in their life. They maybe got uh, arrested for DUI or something, or they call the police uh, for help and we went and helped them. And for them, you know, that's something they'll probably never forget. And it's a story they tell all the time. And for us, uh, it was just a regular day at, at work. So uh, that's kind of one of the things that uh, people don't realize about law enforcement. It's just kind of the things that you kind of forget over the years. Uh, you know, oh, yeah, that's the time that guy threw a toaster at my head or something, you know. And you, you hadn't thought about it in a long time, and you see something that reminds you of it. So does that mean the stories in this book are really the ones that stand out then? Uh, some of them are. Some of them are just ones that kind of like – not maybe not necessarily some of them are just like little one or two page stories that are just little funny anecdotes that maybe something reminded me of, or I thought like, Oh, that was kind of unique to being in Alaska. That's something that cops in Alaska maybe, or in other places wouldn't have to deal with. Uh, you know, there's, I think at least one story in there about, um, dealing with a tsunami warning that we had after the, uh, that earthquake. And uh, there's a story, I think it might even be the first story in the book, uh, to deal with the aftermath of a volcano eruption. Uh, yeah. When I think it was my first year uh, working at the, this department, my last department, and um, we had a volcano across the bay erupt. And, you know, most people don't live in areas where there's volcanoes, and I had never experienced such a thing. And it was kind of interesting because... Um, the eruption happened far enough away from us. It didn't really affect us uh, directly. It was the aftermath because we had all the ash come and it came over the town and it was falling like snow and it was coating everything. And apparently uh, volcanic ash 
is not good for uh, vehicle engines or electronics. Uh, Really anything except for soil. It's extremely acidic. Yeah. So we actually got told to stand down. Uh, Don't patrol. Don't drive around your car unless you absolutely have to to respond to something. And uh, even don't use your computers. Uh, At one point, I remember walking into the squad room and all the computers were wrapped in like garbage bags. They yep. had like garbage bags My around them too. To, to keep, um, and they were turned off obviously, uh, but to keep the, the ash out of the, uh, insides from the fan getting sucked in with the fans. So, yeah, I mean, that's not something that most cops and, you know, uh, a large urban area are going to really have to deal with. Now, maybe something like that's common, maybe in like Hawaii or Japan or somewhere where they have like, you know, I activity. think it, they have to deal more with um, liquid hot magma, you know, like that. I remember the same volcano erupted um, when I was in elementary school. That was the last time it erupted. And cause I distinctly remember <clears throat> having to wear masks, the ones that you see more common than back in 2019, 2020, we wore them a couple of days um, to and from the school bus. Um, until we got home so i have that distinct memory of wearing a mask and getting on the school bus and there was ash around um so that was the last time that volcano erupted yeah yeah i was actually working when it erupted and i remember like seeing lightning flashing in the sky i had no idea that lightning accompanied a volcanic eruption Mm -hmm. and it was odd too because it was like almost like a purple lightning it was like lightning of different colors and uh it wasn't just coming from the, like the direction of the volcano. It was like lighting up the entire sky. And that was, I remember we were driving around and, uh, I was on FTO at the time, which is field training officer. It's basically where you, you get, um, trained up on the department rules and, and stuff like that. And I remember just like driving up this hill and there was like all this flashing in the sky. And I remember like, what asking my FTO, like what in the hell's going on? And I, I think finally, I don't remember exactly how we found out, but like either dispatch come over the radio or we, radioed in and said like there's some weird lights in the sky and they said oh yeah it's it's the it's the volcano is erupting and um it wasn't long after that till we were basically told like stand down don't be driving around uh so that, that was kind of a unique experience to alaska and then you know the stuff with the earthquakes uh we would get the tsunami warnings uh we'd have to go down to the areas that are close to the water and basically knock on doors tell people hey you know you gotta you gotta get to higher ground and um it, it was interesting, you know, I, I didn't really touch on this in the book, uh, but maybe for the next book I will, The just the dichotomy of, of responses you get, you know, some people, you know, you knock on their door and you're like, hey, uh, just to let you know, there's a tsunami warning, uh, it's, you know, expected landfall at, I don't know, at, you know, 1130, and it's like 1030 now, so, you know, they're recommending you get to higher ground, and some people will be like, oh, okay, right away, you know, like, I gotta, I'll got i go right now and, like, run out the door and, like, get in their car and drive off. And other people are like, you're going to have to arrest me. <laughs> and we're like, I'm going to die in this house. I was born in this house. I'm going to die in this house. <laughs> like, I, they're recommending. I'm not telling you. You have to. Uh, this is just, you know, we really don't want you to die. So we're just telling you maybe you should get to higher ground. Uh, you know, just a recommendation. Uh, you know, have a good day. And then you kind of walk away and they're like, no, I wanted a confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> like that was making a making my, I was making my stand right here against the man, and we're like, "Well, we're going to the next house. Uh, good luck with that." <laughs> you know? Yeah, 
Yeah, and I guess uh, forest fires, although I know a lot of other states can deal with forest fires, but usually in Alaska, when we have a forest fire, we're dealing with millions of acres burned just because we're so large. But so far, we've been pretty lucky that the forest fires have not been in the municipality. The two closest ones were both um, outside of your jurisdiction, so you didn't have to deal with that directly. It did affect us, though, I remember, because some of the guys that were working lived out in the direction of the forest fire. That's right. And they missed work, uh, so I ended up having to work. It puts the burden that was, on. That was kind of on others. Yeah. And then I guess other uniqueness is dealing with extreme, extreme weather, you know, cold weather, snow, ice, bears, moose. <laughs> yeah, I've got a good bear story that I didn't I didn't put in in the book that I am saving for the next one. But uh, yeah, I. I actually two good bear stories that, <laughs> that I could tell. I don't think I don't think there are any bear stories in this one, are there? I don't remember. No, no. Just um there's some moose stories, but no bear. But hmm. yeah, it it's uh it's unique uh working in, in Alaska and just dealing with some of the unique problems and environmental factors that we have to deal with. Um yeah, it was uh it was a crazy career and uh like I like I said, I've got enough uh, material for at least two books out of it, maybe more. And uh, that was uh, it was fun going back and like reliving some of that stuff and like thinking about the the, the stories. Uh, but I really I really enjoy stories. Like that was one of my favorite aspects of being a police officer was just sitting around with the guys, you know, just telling stories, listening to their experiences. Uh, it was, uh, it was a good department for training. They would send us to a lot of training. And some of my favorite times in training was when the instructor was trying to teach us something and they would say, get, tell a story that would go along with what they were trying to teach, like, uh, search warrant, uh, exceptions, stuff like that. And they would say, you know, no, it's a common phrase among military and law enforcement say no shit there. I was, mm. it's kind of a setup for like, here comes the story, you know? And, uh, a lot of times in training, that was some of my favorite moments where there was no shit there I was. And then they would tell this story and say, and that's how I learned, you know, to do this or not to do that. And those were some of my favorite moments in training. And just, I would, I felt like I learned better by hearing those stories than if they just sat up there and like gave us death by PowerPoint and droned on about like, don't do this during a search warrant, or this is what you have to do if this happens during a search warrant. If I got a story that I could relate it to, I felt like I absorbed it better. Plus, oftentimes, your training opportunities, uh, there was always a cryptid nearby that you could go investigate. That's true. <laughs> so we'd usually tack on a few extra days for you to go on vacation away from the department after training, and that allowed you to go to all kinds of places. I went all over the country, basically, uh, looking for, for all kinds of cryptids. I would find... Uh, some training that was like nearby or in a state that had some cryptid or cryptid uh, themed area that I was interested in. And I would, you know, go to the training and then take a few days of vacation or whatever afterwards and just go explore and, and look around. I got to go to Falk, Arkansas like that. Bluff Creek, uh, Bluff Creek, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, geez. There were other, Oh, uh, salt fork state park in Ohio. Um, man, there were, there were a few other places, but, uh, yeah, I had a, had a lot of fun, fun doing that. And that was one of the, the better things about 
my department was that they they were liberal with the training. They would let you kind of pick and choose as long as you they felt you could bring it back and improve the department with it. Well, training's important. It you know prevents stagnation in their employees. You know, it, you can you you can't keep learning if you can't go learn new things. I mean, job experience will only get you so far before you kind of top out and you're like, okay, I've already dealt with this a hundred times. I haven't learned anything new. But training's important. So I'm not going to do all ten questions in a row. But if I feel inspired to ask you one, I think I'm going to. So I'm going to start with the first question. I wrote book-related questions and then police work-related questions. And the first one is, uh, what made you want to write this book? Uh, well, I think um, it was like my love for stories. And I've been told that my my strength with my writing is in storytelling. Uh, you know, a lot of the stories that I related in um, Abandon were some of people's favorite parts of the book. And... Like I said, I, I love stories. I love telling stories. I love listening to stories. And I felt like it was kind of, as a writer, kind of my strong point. And uh, plus, it's it's easy to write things that you've experienced. Uh, you don't have to do a lot of research. You kind of already know what happened. You don't have to go back and, and you know do history research or anything like that because it's something you experienced. So it's kind of easier to write that way. You really just have to sit down and remember things. Um so it's an easier writing experience to, to relay experiences rather than um, have to weave a backstory for characters or, or go back and, and research like, well, at this time and place was, you know, was it like this or was it, you know, did they have this or that? So it's just a kind of an easier writing experience and it's fun. And, uh, you know, it's a little cathartic to go back and remember some of those things and, and write them down and kind of get them out and um, share them. I think you just inadvertently answered another one of my questions, which was, how is writing this book different? I think you just, <laughs> you answered. So uh, Abandon was some firsthand experience, but also a lot of historical research. And then some of the events that happened over there, you actually wrote a dramatization of it, like how it could have happened. So that was, Abandon was actually quite complicated if you think about it. And then Squatch Cop is just you putting your training to paper. Yeah. Uh, Abandon. You know, there was a section, there, there's a story in there where I write about a, a gentleman that got killed with uh, some logging equipment. And when I first wrote the story, I wrote um, I wrote it that he had to get back to his truck or to get out of there. I thought, well, you know, he's a, lo- he's a logger. It's a logging operation. He, had a log- he would have a logging truck. Well, then in my research, I realized like, okay, well, they didn't really have roads and they didn't have vehicles. So I had to go back and take that stuff out, the references to the truck, because it, it it didn't it wasn't factually accurate, like it wasn't historically accurate for that time, and uh, I kind of assumed that they had had roads or vehicles at that time because, I mean, vehicles did exist at that time, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they certainly had roads and vehicles in Alaska, just not at that village at that time. So you know that's something that that's a example of like research and how research kind of like change a story or make you have to like okay well this isn't factually accurate and i want it to be as accurate as i even though it's a dramatization i want it to be as accurate as it can be uh but then when you're dealing with your own personal experiences i mean you kind of know what happened and you were there hmm. so once you start writing a new book so you basically you've decided okay this is the book i'm going to work on next how does how do you determine your writing schedule 
Well, it kind of depends on like this one was pretty easy because I could just sit down and I almost always tried to write a story like to completion. I almost never wrote a left a story like half done or almost done. Uh, almost always I would write an entire story and that was kind of how I wrote this. Uh, with my other books, I think with Squatch Cop, I maybe tried to write an, I would try to write an entire chapter, but it didn't always work out. Like I'd have to come back to it later. Uh, but typically, you know, because we live in Alaska, I try and make winter my writing time. Um, like right now, I'm not currently, I'm, I don't want to say I'm not working on anything because I am like, if I have an idea, I'll make a note of it. Uh, but I'm not like, I'm not making it a point to sit down and write every day. Uh, in the winter, I will usually set aside some time every day to like, okay, I'm either going to sit down and write or I'm going to sit down and brainstorm or make notes or, you know, I'm going to do something that's going to help put words on the paper. Right now, I'm not doing anything other than like maybe brainstorming some ideas every once in a while or if I have an idea, I'll put, make a note of it just because our summers are so short and we got so little time to like enjoy them. And honestly, we're not having a very good summer right now. It's kind of crap. Um, but uh, I, I just try and get as much crammed in the summer as I can activity wise. And then winter's kind of my time to sit back and relax and, and maybe do some writing. And uh, I usually try and do you know, an hour a day. That's not very much really, but when you stretch it out over like five, six months of, of winter, uh, and, and you know, it depends. Sometimes I'll sit down and I'll say, Oh, I'm going to do an hour and I'll end up doing two or three. Uh, it just kind of depends on how I'm feeling at the time. There might be days where I'm like, I'm not feeling it today and I don't do anything. Yeah. I noticed every once in a while when I come home from work, when you were writing this book, you'd be into writing and then you would text me and just be like, Hey, I'm writing in the basement. And then you'd come upstairs an hour or two later and I knew not to bother you. So I'm sure at times inspiration struck and you, you didn't want to stop. So it makes sense that once you get started on a story, you'd like to finish it. You can always fine tune it later, but you got to get the bones down of the story. And that's also part of where I come in. I fine tune it. <laughs> clean it up i'll be like what were you trying to say here <laughs> like and a lot of the stories you wrote i actually had already heard during your career because you know when you come home from work you tell me about your day so i recognize quite a few of them but i have to put myself in the position of someone who doesn't have any inside knowledge and then i'll i'll mention um you got to write this differently because someone does someone who doesn't know you or what police work is like has gonna have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> but i think this book actually went really well i didn't have too much editing most of it was just some grammar here or there there were only a couple of times where i, I had you have to rewrite a paragraph so yeah. i think it went smooth hmm. i think i think i'm probably as i write more i'm probably getting one i'm probably getting better <clears throat> two i'm getting better at editing my own work like going back and reading it and a lot of times it's hard because i know what it's supposed to say yeah like i know what that's supposed to look like and no matter how many times i read it i'm reading what i want it to say not necessarily what it does say uh but then sometimes when you'll point it out i'll be like what in the hell was what i trying, was to, I say trying there? to say uh, i think it's amazing that you're able to write because i can create the most amazing stories in my head play them like movies and i'm like this is genius i'm a genius this is amazing and then i go to put pen to paper and i can't describe what i'm experiencing in my brain 
So it's it's really inspiring that you can put uh, pen to paper and actually express yourself because I cannot. <laughs> Speaking of which, what is, out of all your stories, what do you think best represents uh, police work and why? And not necessarily police work today. It could be police work, you know, 15 yeah. years ago when you first started. But out of all the stories, what do you think is most well-rounded represents police work? I think my, it, it's probably my favorite story in the book. <clears throat> and it's probably, honestly, it's probably the, the story that I was like, I need to write this down. Like this is, this is such an entertaining story that other people need to hear it. And I've told it, you know, in mixed company and, around people that were and weren't in law enforcement. Everybody always seemed to enjoy it. And that's the story of the ride along. And I'm not, I don't want to like spoil the story, uh, but I will kind of give a little preview of it here. And uh, we actually, we were going back and forth when we were getting ready to do this podcast. And she's like, Oh, you should read a couple of stories. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sit here and like read from the book. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you basically a synopsis of the story from my memory. Uh, but the ride along at this one point in my career, I kind of got, I don't know how I would get pigeonholed as like the guy that does this or the guy that does that. Uh, for a long time, I was like the tech guy, which is amazing because I'm not really that great with technology or computers. Although you have a podcast going right now. (laughs) It's super easy. I think you're better than you realize. It's it's super easy. Barely an inconvenience, really. Like as long as you can like, well, I can read and follow instructions. So. Yeah, you know. that might be what it is. <laughs> uh, not so great at troubleshooting. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like at one point I was like the tech guy. Uh, at one point I was the ride-along guy. I don't know how I got saddled with that, but <clears throat> basically anytime come in, someone come in and asked to do a ride-along with an officer, they would put them with me. So I get pulled aside one night and say, hey, we've got this uh, kid. I say kid, but he's a grown man. We've got this kid that wants to come in and do a ride-along. And, uh, this guy, I, I call him, um, Richie in the, in the story. Uh, he is just, I mean, he is like, oh gosh, golly gee darn, you know, he's so excited to come out and ride along and he's just so, such a like wholesome kid. And he's so like, he's from Mayberry. Yeah. He just seems like he just stepped right out of like a, a 19, like 60s sitcom or something, you know, he's very wholesome, you know, I don't think he swore. Uh, just, you can tell kind of had like a little bit of a sheltered existence and, uh, he comes out on this ride along with me and he's asking me all these questions that are kind of like, kind of like interview questions, almost like questions you would expect to get asked at a job interview for law enforcement. You know, like at one point he's like, what's the most challenging aspect of law enforcement today? And at this point I'm like a salty rookie, you know? So I'm like, the DA's office, you know, is the biggest challenge, you know, because they we have hard times getting cases prosecuted and stuff. And um, so, and he came out, and I can't. It was it wasn't winter time, but it wasn't. Re- it was probably spring or something, and I don't remember there there wasn't a lot going on. So we're just kind of stuck in this car riding around, and I'm trying to find cars to pull over to kind of show him how traffic stops work and stuff like that. Nothing's really going on, and uh, finally. I, at the end of the night, it's like one o'clock in the morning and I'm like, I, you know, I can't entertain this kid anymore. I don't, I don't know what else to do with him. So I'm like, I'm going to send him home. So I tell him, you know, like, we're going to go back to the station and, you know, you can go home and, um, you know, thanks for coming out all this, just as we're pulling into the parking lot of the police department, 
the radio dispatch comes over the radio says there's a fight in progress at the bar like literally like three buildings down the street from the police department so i look at him i'm like you want to go and he's like oh yeah yeah so <laughs> i throw on the lights i don't remember i don't think i used a siren maybe i did uh just to go i mean literally Not for him yeah and I, <laughs> I didn't need to do it i just did it for him because like the it was mm-hmm. like three buildings away like it would not have mattered if i used the lights and sirens at all turn the lights on screech down there and uh there's a gentleman that was causing some problems there and he was pretty uh he was pretty intoxicated and gives us a lot of problems you know we, we kind of we had to fight with him he, he's very being very uh resistive and um anyway i, I don't want to give the entire story away uh but we're pulling out of of the the bar parking lot there we, we've got the guy in custody uh we're actually taking him up to the hospital to get cleared and this kid looks at me and goes officer baxter was that man intoxicated <laughs> Stating the obvious. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of looked at him and I said, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's I, like, I never saw that kid again. <laughs> yeah, he probably went on to do something um, more fitting to his uh, personality and and demeanor. But I actually got to go on some ride-alongs with you uh, towards the beginning of your career on the island. You know, Beans was in law enforcement on St. Paul Island first, out in the middle of the Bering Sea beautiful but dangerous as it was that's right i forgot about the the time this this isn't in the book but this is another story you just reminded me of it remember that time i went to pick you up you went to a party so it's it's kind of interesting being a a cop wife is a lot like being a preacher's wife um you have to be really careful who you associate with um you have to be really careful of your behavior and i'm not a partier to begin with i never was um, but some of my coworkers who I got along with really well, they were great women. Um, but you had either arrested them or one of their family members at some point and they never held a grudge. They always treated me very kindly and I got invited to a party. Uh, one of my supervisors was having a party, which is down the street from us, but it was kind of colder. So I needed a ride and, uh, I don't think I even drank, but it was fun. You know, food, karaoke, it was a good time, but other people did choose to drink. Um, and then you came to pick me up <laughs> and we couldn't even make it out of the door before there, some of the guys were fighting in the mud room. Yeah. I, I pull in <laughs> to pick her up from this party and basically pull up. I think you come outside and as you like walk out the door, I see two guys swinging on each other inside the house. Yeah. <laughs> I never went to another party <laughs> for that. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I remember I remember that. Yeah, and I got to do um some ride alongs there. Um but of course being on the island there wasn't really any speed. Uh but so when yeah. we did some ride alongs in Homer, I got to one time, you know, we got to go through town at three o'clock in the morning, you know, going eighty five miles per hour in a twenty five mile per hour zone. That was pretty cool. Um but I did We were responding to a a, uh, yeah, officer needed a assist. Yeah. It was a, yeah. It just was, to just to clarify that because it somebody, was not for fun. Somebody's gonna go. See, he's abusing his power. <laughs> no, it wasn't yeah. for fun. It was. Uh, I, I want to address this comment. Iron Dogger says, "What a great couple." My husband and I have been together twenty one years. Love is Grant. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Yeah. We just had our anniversary uh, last yeah. week. Yeah, it was Thursday. Twenty two yeah. years. So yeah, yeah, we've known each other a long time. <laughs> Wearing her down slowly. <laughs> 
he t- he told me when we woke up that morning. I don't know how you put up with me in this long. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> uh, you put up with me too. Um, so ride-alongs are a great way for the public to get a little taste of law enforcement. Now, of course, you are not going to be involved in any of the work, actual work they do, but you get to observe. And a really good example is one of the times I was riding along with you, um, you pulled a vehicle over for a violation. I think maybe it had expired tags or something like that. And as you approached the driver, I'm not sure why they got out of the vehicle and you must have ordered them to do so. I don't quite remember, but you were by yourself, just me in the car and three guys who were as big, if not bigger than you got out and you were talking with them. And then, um, Eventually someone else showed up, but they all ended up leaving. So you didn't arrest any of them. But I remember at the time sitting in the car thinking to myself, here's my husband facing off against three giants. And at any moment this could go wrong and I'm gonna be sitting in the car and what can I possibly do to help? And I remember looking over to the shotgun that was uh, latched in. And I was like, I know how to free this. <laughs> and I was like, it was stressful. But um, I remember thinking, how can I help protect my husband? And he has to face this every time he puts on that uniform. And it was really stressful. So kudos to law enforcement for, for doing it every day. Because it was stressful just being an observer. I have absolutely no recollection of that. Yeah. I don't remember it at all. It wasn't really a... For you, it was normal, I think. Yeah. It was nothing Nothing bad happened. It was just a traffic violation you pulled him over for. But for me, as an observer and for as a loved one, I was like, this is so dangerous. He's in this situation. But it went fine. And you're, you didn't seem too concerned. But for me, it was, it was stressful. I was scared for you. <laughs> I don't remember it. Yeah. But no, if your local department allows for ride-alongs. You should give it a try, get a little taste of it. And the night shift, of course, is the most exciting to ride along with, which brings me to my next question. What's your favorite form of caffeine, especially working night shift? Um, Well, I would always, whenever I would come in, either on day shift or night shift, I would come in and have two cups of coffee because the department had like a free, you know, free coffee that, you know, well, it wasn't free. The city bought it. It was taxpayer coffee, I guess. Um, but I would always have two cups of coffee when I came in and then usually later in the night, about halfway through my shift, I would have, uh, some kind of energy drink. And I think my favorite one of all time, actually, I still drink it is the rockstar orange recovery. Um, it's just, it's the best. It's, it's we got should have bought I, stock in it given we, how much we buy. We should. I've probably sent, there's some executive at rockstar. You bought him a boat. I, I've bought or sent his kids to college. One of the two. So much rockstar energy. Yeah. Um, but that's my favorite and uh, still drink it to this day. I try and limit myself to like one a day, but sometimes on the weekends or something, or if I'm busy or out camping or something, I'll have more. Mm. Since we're speaking about the law enforcement side, I'll ask you one more law enforcement question before maybe we get back to the book here. Did your motivation change throughout your career? Like when you first started, you know, Greenhorn in law enforcement, your motivation to put on the badge, go to work versus 15 years later. How did that change? Well, it's, it definitely did because starting out, you know, I, I've answered the question before when people ask me like, why did you want to get in law enforcement? And my answer is always like, well, I read too many comic books. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to, to help people and, you know, like contribute to society and, you know, like do what I could to, to fight crime and, and put bad guys in jail. Wouldn't be Batman. 
yeah, I wanted to be Batman. And, uh, you know, had a, and I was. I had a cool car. I had a belt. I had gadgets on it. You know, I worked at night a lot of the time. <laughs> so it was Put bad guys it away. Was, it was it was the closest to being Batman as you could get without going to jail. And uh, then, you know, as you do it, you know, years go by. I mean, I was in it for 15 years. Almost 15. Yeah. And then spent four in the military. So 20, 20 years, which is... That, that's about all you should put in, really. Honestly, that's why a lot of places have or had twenty-year retirements. Uh, that's probably about the limit you want to go. And I think a lot of places are kind of finding that out now. Um, you know, they're they're expecting guys to come in and do this for thirty years, and I honestly don't think that's a good idea. But uh, through the years, basically, yeah, my um, my motivations change. You know, I was going in, I was doing it because. It was the right thing to do. It's what I wanted to do. I was motivated to do it. And then, you know, over the years, you kind of get worn down because you see people go to jail and then they get out. And I used to, um, I used to say that, uh, I thought the most unrealistic thing about comic books like Batman was that he fought the same bad guys over and over again, you know, like, okay, he put the Joker in Arkham, you know, 12 issues ago. Now he's fighting the Joker again. And I used to think this is the most unrealistic thing I've ever seen in my life. Like the Joker would be be under the jail. The Joker would be on death row. He would be, you know, he would Mm -hmm. be in jail for life, life without possibility parole. And then I got in law enforcement and guess what? It's real. I arrested the same people over and over and over and over again. And they would do horrible stuff and then they would go to jail for a little bit and then they would get out and then they would do it again. And you just get disenfranchised because you're like, I am not making a difference. Um, nothing I do is is going to help. You know, I think I can see how a lot of law enforcement um, would feel that way. But that comes back to the whole thing where the average person only has one or two extreme events in their life they'll experience. But for a cop, it's something like 700 over a 20-year career of um, heightened stressful experiences. But you have to remember, for you, it seems like you weren't making a difference. But for that person that you helped, I guarantee you it did. And I'm sure that probably gets lost after decades of, you know experiencing it but i guarantee you that person that you helped for them it was the one moment in life they really needed help and you were there for them but i guess that's probably not enough after a while to keep you going (laughs) here's here's a good question um did it change your perspective on humanity after all that time on the force Mm. and it does um i mean basically you know you you go to work and people are calling you up with their problems you know somebody stole something uh, somebody, you know, hurt me. Somebody did this to me. You know, uh, you know, my neighbor's dog's pooping in my lawn. I mean, just negativity constantly. Nobody, yeah. nobody calls you and says, Hey, I'm having a great day and I hope you have a great day too. Yeah. Uh, it's always people are calling you about their problems or about bad things that are happening to them. So it definitely gives you kind of a negative outlook. You think, you know, everybody is, is, is just having a bad time all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it's hard to, to kind of get out of that mindset sometimes because you're just like, you know, it makes you paranoid. You know, I'm at work, yeah. you know, 12 hour, 12 or more hours a day and, or well, 10 to 12, usually 10, but there later on it was 12. And, you know, you get calls all the time. Oh, somebody stole this out of my yard or somebody got in my car and stole this. So you're thinking, 
like, okay, there are people out running around stealing stuff all the time. And so it makes you paranoid, you know, like I have a garage. I put my car in the garage. I lock my car. I lock my garage. Most people I know that have garages don't lock their car in the garage. They put it in the garage and they lock the garage. I would never think to not do that. That's interesting. And it's just, you know, I, I'm like, I want to, I want to be secure. We, you know, we have doors are always locked. We have security. We have a security system. We'll go outside. We'll take the dogs outside and, uh, we'll come in and say, I come in a few minutes before her. Like maybe the dog that I'm watching or have on a leash is already ready to go inside. I'll come in the house and lock the door. (laughs) She's still outside in the front yard. It's just muscle memory with me. I, I, if, if, if I don't lock that door, I, I'm like, okay, something's wrong. You know, well, it's crazy to me that people wouldn't lock the door because anybody can just come up to your house then and just breach that barrier with just the twist of a knob. Yeah. There's but, a, there's a famous, I can't remember his name. I said he's famous, but I can't remember his name. There's a serial killer out there. Uh, that basically that's what he would do. He would walk around and he would shake doorknobs. And if a door opened, he would go in. And if there were people in the house, he would kill them. And when they it's interviewed awful. him, he basically said, like, well, if the door was locked, I felt like I wasn't welcome. And so in his mind, he was allowed to enter if the door was yeah. unlocked. Jeez, that's really scary. So I'm going to ask you another question. It's a law enforcement one. I think maybe it's fitting right here. What advice would you give to those who are considering a career in law enforcement? Um. I would tell anybody that was interested in getting into law enforcement. Um, right now, at this moment, it's probably uh, buyer's choice. Like, if you want to get in, you've, and as long as you've got a decent, clean background, clean background, mm-hmm. um, you can you can probably get hired. Uh, the dogs are snoring so loud, <laughs> but. Um, I would say choose your department very carefully. Um, you know, do a lot of research. Look into the department's history. You know, uh, how many officer-involved shootings have they had? Have they had any officers killed in the line of duty? Uh, and I would say... Oh, they're really solid. Poke one of those and see if they're okay. Maybe put them on, on their oh, side. All three of them are in the little bed together. It's so cute. Get a picture. Put them on their <laughs> side. Put them in a recovery position. Oh, my God. Um but I would say don't just talk to the recruiting because a lot of bigger departments, especially will have recruiting officers and they're going to tell you like everything is great. They're like salesmen, <laughs> like used car salesmen. Uh, you know, talk to a recruiting officer. That's great. But also find a way to talk to a line officer, just a guy, just an everyday officer, maybe somebody that's been with the department about right along. three to five years. And I, I wouldn't even, I don't even know if I would, say ride along. I mean, you should do a ride along. I definitely, bet they'd open up to you, but you need to talk to somebody that maybe is not a designated representative of the department. Mm. Uh, you know, just a, a regular line officer that's been there like three to five years kind of knows what's going on and just get a pulse of the morale of the department. Uh, you know, do they feel like the department has their back if they had to use uh, deadly force, uh, stuff like that. Uh, you know, is the morale of the department good? Is, you know, what's the benefits like? Uh, you know, what, if you could change anything, what would it be? Stuff like that. Uh, and don't just trust what the recruiter says. We, we recently were at uh, a big conference in Anchorage and it, uh, one of the, the big department there in, in Anchorage, a- APD had a booth 
And I asked him, you know, just on a whim as we were walking by, I'm like, hey, what's your uh, what's your sign-on bonus for laterals, which is, you know, somebody that's been a cop somewhere else, you know, and would go to work for them. That would be a lateral. And they're like, we don't have a sign-on bonus for laterals. <laughs> I was like, what, you know, like Kyle's mom, what, 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 you know, and uh, sounds like they're not interested in higher laterals right now, or they feel that they're such a draw that they're going to get laterals without having to offer them anything uh, special. And mm. that was kind of a big, uh, I, I couldn't believe it. Like never would I expect a big department like that to not have some kind of lateral uh, bonus. Whereas on the other hand, like Fairbanks PD, we saw where they were hiring laterals and they've got like a $20,000 bonus or something. That's second, uh, Alaska's second largest yeah. city. Yeah. You've got a question. Uh, what can we do as individuals in the community? Uh, what can we, as individuals in the community, do for our local troopers, officers, etc.? Can we send pizza, donuts, etc.? Is that considered bribery? Uh, it depends on the department. Um, our department was pretty strict about stuff like that. Like our chief didn't like us taking things like that. Usually it was okay around Christmas time. Um, you know, we've, we've dropped things off at the department around Christmas uh, just because, but uh, I would say, you know, your biggest, uh, your, the thing you can do to show the most support is basically just, you know, just support them. Um, you know, uh, if they make a, maybe if something shows up in the news, that's maybe not the best. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. If they do something wrong, they do something wrong, but maybe don't rush to judgment real quick. A lot of times people do that before all the facts come out. Um, you know, and just, if you see them, just thank them for their service, you know, just, uh, you know, maybe give them a little wave or something when they drive by. Yeah. 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 I always acknowledge them when we're driving around and then I see them in public. I always have a conversation, but I guess, you know, you could probably even just send a, a letter or a card. Yeah. Especially if you have an interaction with one in particular, um, or email the the chief and, you know, the city council and we'll just tell them about how good of a job, you know, the department's doing so they can get some recognition from the people who are holding the purse strings. Yeah. And you would be surprised too, like uh you do something for somebody and uh maybe they'll send you a little thank you card or something and that's great and i was i I would would love to get those i get them every once in a while i remember there was a lady whose uh stolen laptop i recovered and she sent us a this card and it was really nice and she like wrote us this little note about how you know we were the best and all that and that was great but you know she sent it to me um if she'd have sent it to the chief or maybe the one of the other administrators uh i probably i might have gotten some kind of commendation or something for it or some kind of recognition uh, so make sure, you know, when you think them, if they do a good job and you want to thank them, don't just think the individual officer, uh, send it higher up, send it to their supervisor, send it to their boss, their chief, uh, you know, whoever's in charge of their, uh, trooper barracks or whatever. Uh, because a lot of times if you just think the individual officer, that's where it stops, you know, the yeah. officer gets the thanks and that's great. And it's great to get that. But sometimes if you send that gratitude up, if you send it up the chain, uh, it'll get them something like a commendation or, or something. Or help them for a future yeah. uh, promotion. I remember, you know, I don't work in law enforcement. I work in government. But I remember one time getting an email from my boss saying, hey, just to let you know, this member of the public called me to personally thank me for this service you provided them and wanted to let me know what a good job you're doing. And I had no idea this person was going to do this. And the mayor sent me an email 
saying, you know, how much this person appreciated. I was like, well, that's great. Now my boss is seeing that, you know, the public is appreciating the work I do. And it, it does help you in the future if you're going to ask for more money or for a promotion or, yeah, accommodation, something to help further their further their career. Yeah. So that would probably be my <clears throat> shortest answer to that would be send your gratitude up. Yeah. Send, send it to the bosses. Uh, let them know that the officer or trooper or whoever's doing a good job. You'll probably put this in the next book, the vet clinic experience. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I again you forgot, forgot about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you know you're in law enforcement, even in your when you're doing your normal daily things, you know, going shopping or taking your dog to the vet, you never know when things might happen. And you know, we had one of our Frenchies in the exam room and um, just a normal examination and then we heard a disturbance outside and it turns out someone was upset and he ended up knocking things off the counter and you confronted him and you know dealt with him like you would as if you were responding to a call for service but what was nice about it is the vet clinic sent you a thank you card now the thank you card included a 20 dollars gift certificate which he could not use yeah because that's accepting it. gifts but it stood on his board in his office until he retired that little thing and every time i come to visit you bring you lunch or whatever i'd see it you know thank you for your assistance that day here's 20 dollars off your next vet visit but that was nice you know you couldn't use the gift but you appreciated the card and it sat there for the rest of your career until you retired yeah yeah <laughs> and there was another uh, experience uh we were in anchorage and we were in a business and i almost this i think it might be other than the time at the vet clinic probably the only time i ever like took any kind of action off duty because usually and they'll tell you like when you get started you know you want to be super cop you want to like do stuff all the time mm -hmm. and they'll tell you like if something happens and you're off duty the best thing to do is probably just be a good witness yeah. uh and so we were in a store in, in anchorage and this gentleman come in that was obviously like he, he was under the influence of, of some controlled substances probably and he was kind of causing the disturbance he was yeah. yelling and, and cussing and hollering and you know I, I let him go for a little bit uh, cause I was just like, maybe, you know, somebody will ask him to leave or something. Mm -hmm. And it kept going and it kind of kept going and it was kind of, I felt like it was maybe escalating a little bit. So finally I pulled my badge out and I'm like, look, you gotta go bud. And he left and, um, I came back in and, uh, one of the, or actually a couple of the employees was like, thank you so much. And it kind of surprised me because I wasn't really sure what their reaction was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, yeah, it was a little tea shop. The employees were a little little hippie-ish you know kind of like go with the flow kind of people yeah and you never really know like sometimes people will will be like oh you know thank you and other times you know especially around here you get a lot of like oh that man needs help you need to help that man and i'm like i can't help that man i don't I, have the resources yeah, to help this person <laughs> i i cannot like solve this man's problems in two minutes like the best thing i can do is get him out of here so that the women and children and people in the store aren't like objected to his <laughs> madness yeah. so mm. i'm gonna pull you back a little bit more towards the the book so this is book number three now and all three of them have been published with um with amazon and you know how do you feel about your experience with amazon publishing versus potentially working with a publishing house like do you recommend it for people who are interested in potentially self-publishing their books uh i would i would or i do recommend it um and you know, I know, I know a lot of people that have written books, uh, especially like in the Bigfoot community. And I've talked to, before I published anything, I talked to a lot of them and just kind of asked them like what their advice was. 
And pretty much like a hundred percent of them were like, don't go through a publisher. Uh, if you can do it yourself, do it yourself. And, you know, I had more than one published author tell me like publishing. And, and of course these are niche books too. You know, these are books yeah. on Bigfoot. Tell me that like, you know, the, the publishing, you know, going through a publishing house, it's not really that great. You know, you don't get that much of the profits. Um, so, you know, self-publishing is the way to go. And then on the, on this flip side of that, on the reverse side, I've had people, you know, like, well, are you a real author or are you, a, you know, are you self-published? And, you know, in my experience, you know, that that's people will look down on people that self-publish. And I can understand because, I mean, you can literally like publish anything, write anything you want and, and get it published uh, through self-publishing. Uh, but at the same time, uh, working with a publisher, you know, you're not always going to get the best deal with royalties uh you have no control you know you're basically giving somebody else like your book and they can say well uh we'll publish this but you have to write it like this or you have to input insert this into it or you have to do this and they'll basically you don't have as much creative control so i mean i i would have to recommend self-publishing the only like caveat i would i guess i would have to put with it is uh one you need to to do your due diligence with editing and get some one. You have to put another set of eyes on it, preferably somebody that's a good editor. Uh, and two, <clears throat> uh, you have to be prepared kind of for not failure, but you know, it's not, it might not like take off right away. Like you might publish it and it has a slow start or, you know, you've got to, be prepared to do a lot of the work yourself with the advertising and promoting it, mm -hmm. going on podcasts and stuff. Um, I was recently on the poorly made police police memes podcast, which is a, a podcast. Uh, there's a meme page on Facebook and he's got a lot of followers and I kind of reached out to him. and was like, Hey, I got this book about police stories. Would you like to have me on? And he had me on and uh, talked about the book there. We talked about some of the stories in the book and, uh, you know, hopefully that results in, you know, people hearing about the book and, you know, putting it in their card and, and buying it or, you know, buying it on Kindle or whatever. And that's kind of the stuff you have to do when you self-promote or self-publish is, is you're responsible for the promotion. You know, it's not it's not just going to show up on Amazon and people are just going to start like, oh, oh what's yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should give this a try. You might get a few of those. Like, yeah. I think they're called organic sales where people just kind of yeah. come by it naturally. Uh, but it's up to you kind of to get it out there and to get people aware of it. And, um, so far I've had a pretty abandoned, my, my book on Port Chatham has sold, has, has exceeded my expectations. Uh, it's done ex really well and it doesn't seem to be slowing down. Squatch Cop on the other hand, not so much. <laughs> well, you know, you're really hard on yourself. You really are. But we knew when you wrote Squatch Cop that it was going to be a really small, uh, group of people that are interested in it because it is almost a textbook. Now there is not a textbook out there for investigating Bigfoot. So it is extremely unique. Um, but some people, they just want stories. Yeah. They don't want to learn how to investigate Bigfoot more um, effectively or how to, uh, you know, employ law enforcement techniques. So it's okay. Cause it's, it's a brilliant book. It's unique. And um, it's even a great tool for law enforcement if law enforcement want to use it towards investigating. So you're really hard on yourself. Yeah. Um, well, I'm was, really proud of that book. It was, you know, Abandoned is the only nonfiction book available on about Port Chatham. So I kind of felt like, okay, that's 
that book has that market cornered. If you go to any, you know, if you go to Google and type book about Port Chatham, that's the only one that's going to come up. Uh, Squatch Cop is, it's not necessarily the only book that kind of talks about how to look for Bigfoot, but it's kind of one of the only ones that I've seen that gives you advice on how to collect evidence and how to document that evidence. There's a lot of stuff, books or information out there on, you know, like how, you know, like what to do as far as looking for Bigfoot, but not enough, uh, in my opinion, on how to document. Okay, you're out in the woods, something happens, what now? What do you do? You get an audio recording of a Bigfoot vocal or you find a, a track that you can cast. That's great. What do you do with it once you do that? Yeah, I I don't know if there's ever been another Bigfoot book out there that's been being written like that by a police investigator applying actual police techniques. Though I think a lot of the people who write those books are um, explorers or um, scientists, you know. So I think it's a unique uh, perspective, and it, it doesn't really matter how much it's going to sell. I know you want it to be super successful, but I think it's just great that all that information is now available to people and really a, a guide. But you know, time's really been flying by. I've got a couple more questions for you, though, if you want to answer them. I know. You were like, this is going to be like 40, <laughs> 40 minutes, I was 20 like, minutes. I forgot that once we get going, it's not too hard to have a conversation about yeah. stuff that we're both passionate about. But um, one's kind of a neat practical question for people um, who might be interested. So you've responded to a lot of car accidents. What do you think you would recommend for people to have in their emergency bag in their vehicles? Cause you know, we have one in all of our vehicles, but what's the, what's the few items that you recommend everyone should have in their car based on your responses to car accidents, what they should have had? Um, flares and a good first aid kit. Um, preferably in my opinion, one with a tourniquet, uh, learn how to use the tourniquet, like get, you know, get training on it uh and probably uh just some form of communication you know especially here in alaska there's a lot of places where maybe there's not cell coverage so maybe some type of uh, emergency uh, personal locator beacon or an in reach or something that you can use to communicate with people if you're in an area with no uh coverage cell coverage yeah i'd probably recommend a blanket or some form of, uh, yeah. especially in winter, you know. That's pretty standard, though, as far as emergency kits go. Yeah. I was just thinking of the couple times. I've never been in a really bad accident myself, but I remember coming up to a couple of them, and a blanket was utilized. It was really helpful, especially because there was a child involved in one of them that was, you know, all cut up and bloody. And I remember being a kid. We were coming back from the movies, and a car had flipped over, and we happened to have a blanket in the car. My mom wrapped this little girl in the blanket while my dad was helping pull people from the accident. And I was thinking to myself, it was good to have that blanket in the car <laughs> to comfort that poor little girl. Yeah. Iron Dogger wants to know if Rob Roy has Squatch Cop in his shop. Uh, he he does. does. In fact, mm -hmm. I just sent him some here in the last couple of weeks, so he should have plenty. Yeah, and if you're going to be at the Boreal Bigfoot Expo, um, Beans can even that's true even uh, sign it for you. Yeah. So, um, and we'll have copies of this book too at the at the expo. But um, you know, um, you don't have a list of questions to ask me. I didn't write the book. I, I'm just I'm just the editor. You know, I'm the person who tries to make sure it makes sense to everybody. But you know, I would have to say this book um, has so far been the easiest to edit. 
And I think a part of it is because it was short stories. You know, I was able to reset my brain every story. You know, it wasn't as it wasn't as tiring as it was some of the other books. And I think again, I'm getting a little better too, because what we do is he writes the stories. We print them out, just normal eight and a half by 11, you know. We both look at it, we make our marks, and then I convert it to the form it's going to be for the book. And I was able to do that this time in less than two hours. Like, it was so fast. I've gotten a lot a lot better yeah. at it. And then we order author copies, and then we mark it again, and then there's the final product. So I'm really proud of this one. I think this one turned out really Yeah, I think once really it, it kind of gets its feet uh, on the ground, I think it'll it'll do well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be at the, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this now. And there wasn't really like a whole lot of, uh, preparation for it. We just kind of like, Oh, we need to do this. Uh, because we're leaving for the Boreal Bigfoot Expo, uh, later this week. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it starts at uh, 6 PM at the Hoodoo Brewing Company. There's going to be a meet and greet. And then, uh, Saturday at, is it 9 AM or the doors open? I believe it's 9 a.m. It's it's all going to be on the website. Yeah. We promise you, we're driving all the way from Homer to Fairbanks on Friday, but I promise you, we won't be super tired. <laughs> we'll be we'll be smiling ear to ear and be happy to see you <laughs> if you come. <laughs> but yeah, I'll have um, I'll have all three books there if uh, you want it uh, autographed. I can personalize it. Uh, if not, if you're not going to be able to make it, uh, you can go to the website alaskwatchpodcast.com. I have all three of the books available there uh, that I can uh, autograph and send out to you. Also, I also got some other swag like uh, t-shirts, mm-hmm. hats, stuff like that. And um, yeah, we would uh, appreciate it if you'd uh, pick up a copy, support us. And uh, well, all of it. Uh, last squatch, you know, I I do the finances and the the family. <laughs> and the the thing about a last squatch is um, he writes the books because it's a great way to document. Um, his knowledge and experience, but the swag and everything going to these conferences, um, it funds his trips, his expeditions to try to find the answer to the biggest question besides why are we here on the earth is, is Bigfoot, is Bigfoot real? Like trying to get yeah. those irrefutable <clears throat> evidence. So that's what Alaska Watch does is funds his trips. Yeah. And uh, after the expo, uh, I'm heading out with Alex Petikoff. Uh We're going to be doing some, uh, some hiking and some squatching and then um we're going to be going out to uh the cabin at area uh, a area a and uh we're going to spend uh an extensive amount of time out there uh probably longer than i i think i've ever spent i have been told to be prepared for you to be gone for two weeks at the cabin a week before that and i think you might pop home for a day or two and then to be gone for two weeks so i've taken time off from work (laughs) it's it's almost i'm treating it almost like a military deployment yeah pretty much i'm going i'm gonna be gone almost a month so (laughs) don't expect him to be to be around i'm gonna get so much work done around the house when you're gone (laughs) Uh, and that's uh, that's a heads up for you guys that follow the follow the page and the um the podcast uh probably not going to be a lot coming out for the rest of the month in fact uh we're going to try and do a live stream from the from the expo uh but after that it's probably going to be uh lights out until uh, july uh, uh, sometime in july and i'm i'm hoping i have a ton of content uh but I can get some stuff out pretty quick, you know, hopefully. I mean, it depends on what happens. I know Alex is going to want to film some stuff for uh, small town monsters and all that. So we're going to, 
you know, we're going to have to decide like, okay, you know, what, what can I put out? What do we need to hold back for, for whatever he's going to release? Uh, I'm probably going to be doing some of my own stuff alongside with Alex. Uh, so I should have plenty of content for, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I might get enough for the rest of the summer out of this one trip, but we'll see. But, um, anyway, thanks for, uh, for checking out this live stream. Uh, if you're listening to this on the audio form, there's going to be links in the show notes, uh, for the website and the Boreal Bigfoot Expo. Uh, you still got time to pick up tickets to mm-hmm. show up out there. This is going to be hitting, um, the, uh, podcatchers here just a little bit maybe an hour after uh, we get done with the live stream here and uh you can plan your trip to fairbanks to, yeah to come see, see us. us i promise yeah. you we're really nice and we yeah. love talking well i'm really nice <laughs> and i love talking about alaska and i don't mind talking about bigfoot i know a little bit but mostly my knowledge is all alaska <laughs> so iron dogger wants to know uh talking about alex he's hooked on alaska how long before he moves to alaska so um we we've broached that subject alex and i and um i i i think he wants to but i don't think he's able to right now i think he just i don't want to i don't want to talk out of school i don't want to talk mm-hmm. about his personal life but i think he just bought a house or something and uh probably not probably not in a position to to uproot and, and move up here at this point but uh i mean never say never yeah i mean who knows um yeah you retired from law enforcement yeah. You never know what can happen in your life. Yeah. Sometimes you just say to yourself, you know what? This is what's best for me. We're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I know he really likes it up here, yeah. which most people that come up here, you know, they kind of fall in love with it. So. Well, I was born and raised and I still love it every day. Yeah. I look out, I look out my window or we go for a drive and I'm like, I'm really thankful to, to yeah. live here and be born. Yeah. Born well, in this great state. I, I've told my story many times about joining the military and I said, I don't care where the army sends me as long as it's nowhere cold. And then straight to Alaska, they sent me and I got it. But the joke was on them because I got up here and I loved it. Yeah. And Best I'm thing still that here. ever happened to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, who knows? Never say never. I'm going to work pretty hard when we're out in the field. I'm going to, I'm going to try and recruit him and get him up here. Cause we need more people like Alex up here. Yeah. Um, I think it might, I mean, it, it would give him endless opportunity to film up here, but he does travel a lot too. And it's, pretty expensive to like yeah get in and out of state sometimes so i think that is also probably a big yeah negative. it's like 500 dollars each way just to get out of the state <laughs> there has to be some negatives to alaska yeah. or else everyone would move here and we don't want that yeah. not everybody not some everybody. people not everybody yeah. don't get too crowded then yeah. we'll be like everywhere else <laughs> yeah there's a vetting process <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right, guys. I think we're done. Yeah, I think uh, so. Let me show them the picture. The th- Actually, this cover, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, I pretty much designed that myself. I had no idea what I want. At first, I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll do a collage of like me in uniform or something. I like <laughs> and I just, I just, I had no idea. And yeah. then almost like in a fit of like inspiration, Cause I kind of come up with the title and the picture like all at the same time. Fairy tale, yeah. I was like, man, like, wouldn't it be cool to have like a, a flying pig and a little police uniform or something? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's how the, the cover was born. And, um, you know, inside baseball, that's, that's a real police hat that I've worn on my head mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on the, uh, the pig on the cover. Yep. And, uh, I just thought that was a cool little touch. But, uh, yeah, it's out now. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on our website. And you can get it in person at the Boreal Bigfoot Expo Yep. here June uh, 10th. Is it 10th and 11th? Uh, Next weekend. Yeah. 
next Saturday and Sunday. Yep. Hope to see you there. All right, guys. We're going to call it uh, good. We're going to put a pin in it. Thank you so much for watching, commenting. And uh, if you like what you heard and saw, please like, share, and subscribe because, uh, you know, all the uh, support, it just gets us hopefully that much closer to, to finding out what's out there in the woods. Yep. All right, guys. You guys have a great time.